going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Muscle, and this is another Two Line Music Huts Entertainment Report podcast. And today, we have a really special guest in the building. Listen, he's a singer, a songwriter, a performer, entrepreneur. Listen, he's an avid, avid, avid sports player. Listen, this man has everything going on right now. You know what we have in the building today? We have Alex Rebel Marley in the building today. What's going on, big boss? Yes, respect, bro. There, go and hold it, you know. Come on, big up the Entertainment Report podcast every time, you know. Alex Rebamali live and direct, you know what I mean? From Kingston, Jamaica, now we're there in Florida, you know. All right, big up. Thank you so, so very much for coming to the Entertainment Report podcast today. Yeah, man, thanks for having me on board. It's a great honor. Thank you. No problem. I know you're a busy man. You do so many different things. And today in the interview, we're going to try to figure out how do you have time to do all of this? I'm talking from skateboarding to snowboarding, surfing to all type of stuff. But we're going to figure out how you do all of this today. All right. Yes, I I figure it out myself. All right. So usually here, my first question is this. What part of Jamaica were you born in? And what attracted you? What were you attracted to first? Was it sports or music? Mm, well, we have to say sports still because, you know what I mean? We had kickball long before we even played music. So I said, you know, the football came before even the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what part of Jamaica did you grow up in? Or would even be hard to say that. I guess they both came at around the same time because I was listening to music from such a young age. <laughs> but I grew up in Jamaica, in King, Kingston, in the capital city, you know? Mm-hmm. What part of Kingston there? Um, well, we grew up in different, different parts of Kingston, you know what I mean? We used to live all over Hope Gardens, you know what I mean? We used to live at Beverly Hills, Uptown, you know what I mean? We live downtown by the waterfront. You know what I mean? We live at Portmore. We live all over, you know? Got you, for sure. But yeah, we move around a lot because when, when we we were born in a prominent family, in you know what I mean? But when we say Rastafari, I know, you know, my father kicked me out of the house because I said, well, then you're not going to be a productive member of society. So, you know, So the thing goes, so we have to move, go all about and end up even in at the garrison. We go, we even go live in at St. Anne's up in Nine Mile where Uncle Bob born and come from. Mm-hmm. You know, live some Rasta life and go up on the farm and dig up to Yamil and go well, go get water. And so we get, we get, we get, we see the uptown, the downtown and the countryside of Jamaica, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay. So you've been, you've been all around. So then you said, okay, let's go with, um, Let's go with sports first then. What was the first thing you did to actually get into some sort of sports? What was the first one? Well, we said football, you know, growing up playing football, you know, whether even when you never have a football, you play with a tennis ball, you play the crush up box drinks, you play with plastic buckle, you play the box cap. I mean, we play money football with the kind them, you know? Yeah, so so with football, even before I got into the surfing and the skateboarding and the snowboarding, we came to football, you know, which in America them called soccer, you know? Yeah, okay, and I know at one point you even made it as far as the national surf team in Jamaica. 
Yes, I was on the national surf team and competed in, in Huntington Games in California, 2005 World World Surf Games, you know. Mm-hmm. It was a great experience and, you know, surfing has made me meet so many interesting people and given me a different international outlook on life. You know, coming from a small island, Jamaica, maybe if I didn't surf, I wouldn't have had so many American friends and, you know, them kind of and but that's the interesting things because you know most people from jamaica or the caribbean when it comes to water sports or even just swimming you're not involved so the fact that you were actually surfing what got you into surfing and at what age did you get into surfing and stuff yeah because you're fine in jamaica enough people don't even swim like you say you know so um mm-hmm. what got me into surfing you now was that my big brother surfed Mm-hmm. You know, and so and they used to go to Bull Bay and surf, you know, with um Billy Mystic, you know, um mm-hmm. revealers and you know his sons and stuff and used to surf with them and you know the other youths in Bull Bay and then we go to Portland and link up with the surfers that live in Portland on the north coast by Boston and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we just got into it because it's something that both of my big brothers did and um one one of the days I saw one of Billy Kid's Ica in bus a big air. I see him fly out the water and rotate and land back and then pull into the barrel and the tube come over and then come back out the tube and I was like, wow, that looks cool. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of exercise, you know, to catch the wave. So once I learned that it was to me even more about the physical exercise and the overcoming of one's fears mm-hmm. and being you know, able to navigate in tumultuous waters with alligator and shark and all kind of thing out there. Like you really out there in the wild, Mother Nature, you know, and to have faith in the Almighty that you'll overcome all these obstacles. Because we even surfing Hurricane Ivan, Hurricane Emily, Hurricane Katrina, me and my friends were in the water. So it's really take a different level of faith and commitment to, you know, a coconut tree flying over your head and you still continue going you know (laughs) and you know so it definitely made made a man of me surfing definitely surfing and then i know another extreme sport that you're into is um snowboarding how did you get into snowboarding because i want to go down your your athlete first and then we'll get into your music so i want to know how did you get into snowboarding well I had a girlfriend from Austria and I always wanted to try snowboarding because, you know, from growing up playing video games and stuff, you'd see, but I never thought I'd get to try it. Mm-hmm. Then I had a girlfriend from Austria, she came to visit me in Jamaica and then I went to visit her in Austria. And so we went into the Alps, boarding Austria, Italy and Germany and I snowboarded a place called Capron. And that was um, very um, interesting. And because coming from a surfing skateboarding background, I caught into it right away, started catching air my first day. And from that is just something, anytime I get the opportunity to do it, I do it, you know, because it's, it's a lot of fun. Where skateboarding, you have to do some big trick. Surfing, you have to catch some big wave. Snowboarding, as long as you cruise down the mountain, you feel like you conquered the world, you know? Don't have to do nothing big you just want to go up the lift and make it down and you don't have to catch the wave like surfing is work <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> snowboard is a lot of exercise too but it's fun you know mm-hmm. wow okay and i know one other thing that you're into also you're it's a special type of martial arts explain it to me well the martial arts that i do is zendo kayakan 
which is you know um is kung fu mixed with karate mm -hmm. so we learn a bit from both disciplines and i know you're uh you're uh fourth brown belt first fourth degree brown belt you know and 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 it is as again karate gave me a lot of discipline it's something i practiced from i was five to eight when i was officially studying i still studied after the fact but when i was in official classes from five to eight mm -hmm. and i got my fourth degree brown belt i was going for my black belt and everybody else um Everybody else in my class was like 30 years old. It took years to learn all the katas and stuff that I learned very quickly. And I was breaking bricks with my head and my hand and doing sword fighting and stick fighting and all kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was just, how did you discover all of this athletic stuff inside of you in the first place? Because that's, that's a lot of stuff that you do. Well, I forgive thanks to my mom who carried me to karate class and she always like my parents always, you know, embrace anything that I want to do. And I just had a lot of energy as a kid. You know, when you have a kid and I'm running up and down and I'm giving a lot of trouble, it's just that they have a lot of energy. You have to know how to direct that energy and use that energy in a positive way and not necessarily cramp or kill that energy where a lot of parents are trying to just, oh, sit down and don't do anything. You know, and then you can become like a vegetable, you know? Mm -hmm. Definitely, I understand. Now, let's go down this musical path down here now. You, as a kid growing up, when was the first time that you knew that your name, Marley, was something special? Well, always no say Marley is special, you know what I mean? Because, you know, we see Bob everywhere, you know what I mean? But it never really clicked to me that we were related. One day I said to my dad, you know, how comes um, Bob Marley has the same last name as us? And he chuckled and he said, because that's your cousin, you know? And then he ex showed me the family tree and explained to me. And then I met, you know, some of my cousins, Bob's kids. And so, um, you know, I did more research into who Bob was as an individual and watching his interviews and stuff, I felt uh, very much connected to him and his thought process and how he viewed the world, his worldview, you know. And then after that, I got into the music on a deeper level because, you know, growing up as kids, we were more into the dance hall. You know, I mean, I used to do some Bounty and Sizzler. So, you know, I feel like um, Sizzler carried me a little closer to the roots and then I was ready to get really deep into the bob. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because... I feel like a lot of Jamaicans them hear about Bob and them know all the Bob songs, but they never really sit down and listen to a full Bob album. You know, I mean, I really catch the vibe where the man I deal with. So, you know, and then I get into things like Ras Michael and Sons and Negus and Burning Spear. And then, you know, I went to music school. I learned how to play the seven instruments and thing. And then I learned sax. So I started playing a lot of scatter lights and things like that. And you know, that just carry me, the whole jazz and classical carry me into a whole another um, planet of music, another dimension of music, other than just you go studio and you write song and jump on the rhythm, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
No, crazy, because again, it's just as your musical journey is just as well as your sports journey, because you do so much in sports, but you also do so much in music, as in so many different eclectic styles. It's like your influences are from Bob Marley as far as um, Jimi Hendrix and everything in between. Yes, I. Mm -hmm. Time for some payback. Uh, Hit me. <laughs> talking about talking about Bob Marley as an input. Did your father ever tell you any any exclusive stories about Bob Marley as a family man opposed to just the entertainer? Well, growing up, unfortunately, my dad never got close with Bob. You know, he never. I don't think he even got to meet Bob. Mm -hmm. Even they were around the same age. You know, you could say that. You know, my dad was. You know, in the uptown side of the family, and you know, Bob being a wrestler from Trenchtown, you could say that like my dad's parents and stuff might not would have, you know, but, you know Jamaica set up already, so mm -hmm. definitely. But they interviewed him in the Marley movie that's on Netflix, you know. Okay, and I know even something like you earlier in the conversation, you had said that as soon as you decided to go Rastafari, just like, I guess, your inspiration and stuff, that's when there was a situation with you and your parents. Like, I guess they had the same indoctrination as their parents did also. Yeah, and even now, you know, in modern day time, most parents, if them child say you know i'm not cutting my hair anymore and i want to you know pursue rastafari as a way of life a lot of parents still have that negative stigma towards i and i you know christly appearance and christly liberty you know even though the parents are claiming to be christians and follow christ but when them see them children start to wear the sandals and the long robe and thing, you know them said no this becomes all too real so it's like they're it's like they're 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 fanatics of Christ, but they don't really want to walk the walk. They just want to talk the talk, you know. So they 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 they, they will give their kids ultimatums. Either you can cut your hair and look like a society person, and and or or you know you're going to have to take the road. And to me, it's not even just a hairstyle. People have to understand Rastafari is a whole liberty and a way of life beyond a hairstyle. You know what I mean? So, and that's that's the thing that. All right. And when did you discover Rastafari? At what age were you? Well, I think I was around, you know, 12, 13. And, you know, we used to go to Ethiopian Orthodox Church in Jamaica. My brother had a videotape that some Ethiopian monks had given him of some monks that live in Ethiopia that look like they live 200, 300 years old, that they look very ancient, but their face look very young still, and I call it Patawi. So when I witnessed that, and then I watched a Jamaican movie called Rockers. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but watch it on YouTube. It's my favorite movie all the time. So I will never make a better movie than Rockers. And it started out with, um, I think it was Russ Michael and Sons and Negus, and some Holy Parasa beat some Bingy drum and thing, and and it was a, there is a land far, far away where there's no night, there's only day. Look into the book of life 
and you will see that there's a land far, far away. I'm hear the lightning and thunder rolling at the bingy drums. And after that, I was like, okay, I want to be like those guys. Because I just felt the, the calling right there. So I missed the rockers moving. You know that. It was you know? right there. No, that movie was highly influential. Highly. Yes, I. Highly. Yeah. No, like, definitely. So then when did you actually start to, um, what was your first thing? You started to record music, started to play music. What was your first venture into music now? Well, the first thing with us is like, from I was like, say five years old, I had a girlfriend, she was seven and I always dating mm -hmm. and she was listening to the Fugees. Mm -hmm. So I can first remember hearing music around my house. My mom had a record player, a vinyl player, and she used to play stuff like, you, Mrs. Robinson, Jesus loves you more than you may know. Oh, 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 oh. And she used to play that stuff around the house. And then I had a girlfriend. She was like one of the only black girls that lived in the community at the time. You know, because back then in Uptown Jamaica, everybody was white. You know, and then so she was my girlfriend and she was two years older. I mean, she was seven and I was five. And I have really good memory of like early childhood for some reason. Like I can't remember back to when I was like three, two years old. I just can't remember when I was born, but I can't remember everything else. But like, I'm like, she was listening to the Fuji's. And so she told me Fuji's was hot right now. She didn't even play it for me. She just showed me the CD. And I remember I told my mom I wanted the Fuji's. And my mom went and bought me the CD. My mom was always very supportive of whatever I wanted from Azario. Even though it said parental advisory on it, hmm. my mom still bought it for me, which is surprising because my mom did not like curse words. I don't think she looked on the thing properly. <laughs> but bought it. And so they put it in, and after the intro and stuff, I was kind of confused on the intro because I was like, man, what's all of this? Because the intro, Wycliffe was kind of going like, I was like, what? But when the second song came out, how many mics do we rip? One a deli, mini money, and I never heard hip hop before, and I just remember something instinctive that told me start banging your head like this. I started banging my head slowly like this, and then coincidentally later, you know, to find out that Lauren Hill is like my cousin because you know she has kids with my cousin, you know. So that was pretty cool. And then I went from there. I started. I would play the songs and pause them and rewind and press play again. Pause and rewind. You know, when we had cassettes. And I would write down what they were saying, and then I'd play it at full speed and try to rap it and pretend like I was a rapper. You know what I mean? And so I started rapping. That's how I got into the game, rapping. And then after Fuji's, I started listening to Biggie Smalls, you know, especially the Ready to Die tape. I also listened to that a trillion times. Mm -hmm. You know you know what I mean? And because one of my, my, my sisters gave that to me, my bigger sisters. And then... um. Yeah, and then after that, I got into dancehall. Then after dancehall, I got into reggae. After the roots reggae, I got into jazz. Thelonious Monk and Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald. And then it was that, that is a rap after that. You know, music doesn't get much higher than that, you know. <laughs> and that's why you have so many different influences and you do so many different styles in your music. Because I know you have like Afro beats, you have reggaeton, dancehall, lovers rock, cultural stuff. You do all type of styles in your music. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't like being genreized or locked up into a box, you know what I mean? Because once you start just becoming monotonous, making the same sound, the same sound over and over again, 
That's why a new genre comes up and everybody goes and listens to that because they're tired of hearing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, that being said, you have traditional music, like, you know, reggae is a traditional music that's been around since creation and that will never change. But I still like to explore and make fresh stuff, fresh ideas, like, you know, because as human beings, we create, we create that fresh stimulus, that new sound that we've never heard before, you know, that new chord that we've never heard before. That gives you that special feeling that you've never felt before. That's why I like music because it's limitless, it's endless. You can never really master it. It keeps going and going and going and going. You know, after you get your major minors, then you get your major seven, minor seven, major nine, minor nine, dominant 13th, then you you, you start stacking chords, your major on top of your minor, you put in D minor over C major, and you get those big open chords that the gospel players use. And, you know, it's endless, and then you start getting to cycle of fifths and playing in alternate keys, and people start to tune their instruments differently. And, you know, like, that never stops. You never master music. You know, and it, and the numerology and science behind music, you know, and how it affects you on a molecular level, you know, it, it, it interconnects with all different scientific practices around the world and spiritual practices. So to me, music is the highest science, you know. I totally understand 100% what you mean. So somebody like you, that's a Rasta, how has that impacted your music from you came out till right now? Well, being a Rasta, what that do for your music now, that just keep you, your music on a positive note. Mm-hmm. You know, because being that you Rasta, Rastafari, but that means then you're not going to say certain things or promote certain things that go against your philosophy. You know, so I would say it's a blessing because, you know, even now in times like this, people realize they don't need all that negative music. You know, you can have a nice beat that you can dance to and still, you know, have respect um, and and deal with it in a mature manner. Mm-hmm. And I think, the, um, you know, people are waking up slowly but surely to, to, to that fact, you know. Makes sense there. When you first started out and you decided to say, okay, I'm going to go full-fledged into music, why did you decide to keep your your name Alex Marley? Because you know with a name like Marley, it's going to do one or two things. It's going to get you to the door or it's going to prevent you from getting inside of the door. One or two things are going to happen. Yes, well, when I first came out, I didn't actually use the name Marley. You know, I used to call myself Russ Ancient, and I used to call myself, um, we had a band called the Black Lion Band that I was a part of, which is from Nine Mile, where Uncle Bob is from. And so I was doing everything but to avoid actually using the Marley name. You know, and then, you know, one of my producers spoke to me and said, just embrace who you are, your family heritage, your culture. That's your legal name. You can't escape it. You go places, people go and look on you and say, oh, you look like a Marley anyway. You know what I mean? So I just embrace it. I'm proud of, 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 of what Bob has accomplished. And, you know, one of my friends said to me, don't look at it as you're walking in somebody's shadow, but look at it as you're standing on the shoulder of giants. You know, and I said, I like how you put that. Huh? Mm-hmm. And so that comes with great responsibility. 
Great answer because I know again having a name like Marley, I know it would it would be a thing where either it would open doors where people would say, "Okay, you know what? Thank you, thank you," or somebody would say, "Hey, you're Marley. What can you do?" And that's a, the kind of balance that you're trying to balance right there. Yes, because you know Bob has shoes that you can never fit, and mm -hmm. then you know um, if it's a little kid from Jamaica, I see so so many kids from Jamaica get popular in the music and stuff and don't know proper production or anything. But because of my last name, you're expecting me right off the bat to come out at the top. You know, not to you don't want to hear the levels to the growth. So it is a whole different expectation, but at the same time, that makes me have high expectations of myself too and rise to meet those expectations. So, you know, people say, do you think it's because you're a Marley why you had so much success? And I said to people, I think the name Marley gives me the confidence to never give up and to still keep going, even no matter how many times I fail. And then that comes with the, su the success comes with that. Because at the end of the day, Marley is a huge family and there's hundreds of us doing music and if you can't deliver when you get on that stage Nobody cares and I deliver every single time and if you watch the, the, the footage of when at San Antonio Reggae Fest You have Alex Marley San Antonio Reggae Fest and I watch on YouTube or Alex Marley World Tours and see Everywhere I go in the world The crowds love me and even if they never heard about me before I go on that stage You can put me in front of the stage in front of 60,000 people that have never heard my name before or my music and on the internet I'll have them all eating out of my hands and to me that is real talent not brainwash you with my music and play it on the radio a million times and you hear it over and over again now you see me on stage and like yay you know what I mean because that, that that's like it's it's a it's a hack you cheated you know what I mean <laughs> I, I, a real musician I come with my instrument and I'm going to wow you right now within the first three seconds that I open my mouth or before I even open my mouth when I walk on stage just my stage presence or the intro that I cook up with the band. When you hear, ba, da, 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 you're like, damn, what kind of stage intro is that? It, it don't get crazy already. Presenting to you. From Kingston, Jamaica. You're like, damn, this is, this is, this is getting a little intense right here. <laughs> Yeah, 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 100% right. It's again, it's it's now the burden is on you to show and prove after you. Okay, I'll let you in the door, but what can you do? And that's what it really comes down to. Talking about that, have you collaborated with any of your um, cousins or family members? You know, we, 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 we collaborated, but we haven't put out any music or anything like that, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to chart my own path and not try to lean on the family name totally understand you because i know you've been performing and touring for a while now all right tell me three of your most memorable places or tours you've been on so far as alex marley oh that's a hard one but okay abu dhabi in the desert on the u.s air force base with my whole band and we got to see the transformer jet i was in transformer movies i got they gave a special clearance to go with the fighter jets and stuff um hawaii for sure mm-hmm all the different islands over there in Hawaii, um, Costa Rica. I know you said three, so <laughs> oh, no, no, you know what? You seem to have some work. I really want, like, tell me, like, okay, you know what? This is what happened there. The details, and you know, the the Gambia was very interesting. I stayed in Gambia for two months, and I had like fifty military bodyguards, and that that was a trip and a half. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that was a trip and a half. I, oh, and Egypt. Oh, Lord. Mm -hmm. I went into Egypt. I went to see the Valley of the Kings and Hatshepsut and all that. I did, and I was supposed to go see the pyramids, but on the day I was supposed to fly to Cairo, mm -hmm. the news came out that there was a bombing in Cairo and tourists died and even like the Egyptian bus driver died. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll see the pyramids another time. <laughs> But they say the Valley of the Kings is even more interesting than the pyramids because the pyramids don't have any glyphs or nothing on it. You know, all the inscriptions and stuff are in the temples and stuff, you know. Got you crazy. I'm telling you, when you perform, and especially somebody like you that tours and perform, and you have such a wide influence of music from Jimi Hendrix to Bob Marley and everything in between, it's like it's so hard to really put you in a box of music. Say, okay, this is what Alex Marley sounds like. I think I think now I'm just getting into my sound really fully where you can tell from one song to another, yeah, that's his sound now. You know, I kind of develop this song, but at the same time, it's very versatile because I do reggae, I do hip-hop, I do Afrobeat. But, like, if you listen to me on Being Friends, you know, and you listen to me on Rastafari, you can kind of, you know, see a similarity in the sound, even though one's a dancehall beat and one's a reggae beat. You can kind of still hear my soul bleeding out in the same kind of way, you know? Mm -hmm. No, definitely. Okay, since you brought them up, these are two of your new releases right now. Rastafari, which is more of a dancehall influence track. How did you come up with that track in the first place? Well, you know, I was actually um, in Jamaica at Earl Chinna Smith House. And we was playing bingy drums with Earl Jenna Smith, you know, he's a legendary guitarist, played with Bob and Ziggy and many others, you know, in the yard. And um, we've been, I had an empress there who was traveling there with me. And we were beating bingy drum at Chinos and playing guitar and thing. And then somebody had sent me, we went to Helsha to get some food afterwards. And I met a guy at Hellshow who was a producer and he sent me a beat. And then he sent me the beat and we we're listening to the beat when I got home. And then my girlfriend at the time actually heard the beat and just started going, Afari. And I was like, what? That sounds catchy. And then I built the whole song off of when she did that. And I was surprised that she did that because she wasn't really like a Rasta per se, but just being with the Rastas all day and stuff. She felt like she not wanted to sing out the rest of far. So I was kind of in shock and awe. And then she kind of came in on the beat. So and, I, and it just rang and I just went with it, you know? Makes sense. Big, big, big talk there. And another new one you have right now is Being Friends. That's a lover's rock. So you went from dance hall to now lover's rock. What was the thinking behind that there, that song, Being Friends? Yes, well, Being Friends was actually written by um, Mario from Anchor Studio in Jamaica. And he wrote the song and said, you know, he wanted me to deliver it because he thought I could deliver it. And I went, I stopped on my way to the airport. I actually cut that one take in like 15 minutes. <laughs> and it came out to be like one of the best songs I ever did. And everybody was like, whoa, you know. That's so crazy. And it's usually those spur the moment quick songs those are the ones that usually seem to have the most impact for some strange reason 
Yes, it's just like it flows naturally. You don't have to force it. Mm -hmm. You're right. And I know this month here, April 19th, you have a new song called Love. I think it's a reggaeton song with a, please tell me his name because I said, okay, I'm going to remember the pronunciation, but I can't. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. The David Pireto. Yeah. How did you guys connect to come up with now a reggaeton? Because you have the Lovers Rock, you have the dance hall, now the reggaeton. How did you guys connect and do that song there? It's big now with artists like Bad Bunny getting the most streams last year, last physical year and thing like that. And, you know, Latin community is huge. And, of course, you know, reggaeton being a child of reggae, I just feel it's only natural that Jamaicans come and claim piece of that market since we, you know, cause it to be born. So I'm bringing the Rastafari even to the reggaeton. You know what I mean? So um, David hit me up, you know, on IG, seeing the work I was doing and stuff and saying, yo, bro, I want to work with you. And then he sent me the track. I was like, yo, this track is fire. Then I realized who he was working with, some of the producers that produced Maluma and all these big reggaeton artists. As I, and, you know, he, he have a good following going on there in Colombia. So I was like, right, let's do this. You know what I mean? And it just came out real nice and people were really feeling it. You know, the little snippets and little teasers that we let people hear so far. So I know that's going to be a good one, you know. Good, good, good. I know. I got a couple more questions before I get you out of here. For the last about a year now we've all basically been down we haven't really been performing all over the place what's the biggest surprise you've learned about yourself in the last year where you're not really traveling where you're just basically you're calm you're still that you don't need to be traveling all the time you know it's okay to be in one place and just build in that one place and not being able to tour i've been spending a lot more time in the studio recording songs because touring all the time, you know, you get the money. Sometimes you don't see the need to go in the studio. You know what I mean? Especially when I play all these instruments. I can do John Coltrane covers and tour all year just on that. I could go for me a John Coltrane, but I never even have to sing a song, you know? So with the touring being locked down, you know, um, you, you spend a lot more time in the studio and you rediscover yourself as an artist, which I think a lot of people are doing right now. And then... You know, I've found a way to make four, five, six different businesses just from home, you know, and 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 and, and my networking on apps like Clubhouse, you know, Instagram, stuff like my networking has gone up through the roof. I realize that, you know, people are approachable, you know, people, millionaires, billionaires, like, yo, what's your number? <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, I hit you up when I'm in L.A. You know what I mean? It's just having that confidence to like not be shy. Are you comfortable in a room people more successful than you? If you're the smartest, most successful person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And I think our egos all the time, we like to be in a room with all these weak people just because nobody challenges you. I like to be in a room and somebody's like, no, Alex, I don't think so. Why you don't try to do it this way? You know, I don't like how you dealt with that. Try it this way. Try it. That's the only way you're going to grow. You're 100% right. Talking about room, I see right now you're in a room with... um on Clubhouse with Snoop Dogg, and it's a trending room right now. Tell us about that room there. Yes, well, you know, through meeting Snoop Dogg's family and some of Snoop family and thing, you know, them ping into the room and Snoop in there. And, you know, when I come in the room and, 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 and you know, we having good conversation. And then, you know, Snoop's son was like, yo, bro, we number one trending room on Clubhouse right now. You know what I mean? So 
I, I know he, he must know where he's getting those stats from and stuff. So, you know, it's just a good vibe on there. You know, I'm a big fan of Snoop. Look up to Snoop all these years and just to, you know, know some of his family members and be acquainted with them and be able to even talk to Snoop on there live. Me and Snoop, they're rapping live on Clubhouse. Like, you, you know, it's, 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 that's amazing to me that I got to talk to Snoop Dogg directly. You know, because I, you know, I know a lot of his people, but to talk to Snoop live on Clubhouse, and I mean, I met, I met Hollywood actors on there. I met, like, you know, I realized people are just people. Mm-hmm. You know, and and look at what DMX going through now. You know, he's a millionaire, but he still got feelings. He still got, you know what I mean. And 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 sometimes we forget that celebrities are just people. You understand 100%. I got one last question here before I get you out of here. You play instruments, you tour, you sing, you have your business and everything. When do you feel most alive? Is it playing sports? Is it singing? Is it performing? Is it teaching? When does Alex Rebel Marley feel most alive and most energized? Hey, nobody ever asked me that question. You're a great interviewer. I like this show. Hey, you make me so comfortable. I gotta be careful because I'll be, I'll be getting, I'll, I'll be just saying stuff that you know. Because you get me, I feel like we just at home having a conversation. I gotta be careful interviewers like you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, but I feel alive. Honestly, mm-hmm. there's nothing like when you, when you on stage performing for the people and they screaming and giving you back that energy and just that. That's the highest high ever for real. You feel, I feel close to God in that moment because I feel like. You're in such an important position with 10,000, 50,000, 60,000, 100,000, 300,000 people looking at you. I feel like in that moment, mm-hmm. is either God or the devil going to try to take your body over? Because you're way too important right there. So somebody of a higher higher force must want to say something through you to the people. Because what are you really going to say? You know what I mean? Like, think about it. Your music is like a point of view, like you're expressing yourself. But what do you really have to say to all these millions of people that's going to change your life and impact them so much that you're going to change the world? Are you just wasting your time on stage? If it's just entertainment, then you might as well sing the last note and get off. You know what I mean? Like, go collect your paycheck, whatever. Like, what was is what's the impact? What's the importance? What's the value? You know, and I feel like in that moment, because I'm trying to channel towards God, towards that positive energy, I feel like in that moment, you feel God come through your body so that you have the energy to move those people and motivate them to be better people, to love each other more, to come together more, to unify more. And at that moment, it's not even used as God running through you now. And to feel all that energy running through your body, going out to the people, that's a great feeling. And then all the energy the people are pouring at you, you have to know how to absorb it and then throw it back out, deflect it back at them. You don't want to soak it all up into you because then it drives you crazy. Because then your ego get built up and like, oh, I'm God. No, you're not. You ju- you're just a medium that God is speaking through to the people. You know what I mean? Don't think it's you. And I think that's why I dominate this any concert I go at, even if it's a more famous artist than me, because I've got a direct link to God, and I'm trying to put God into it, into the popular music space, but in a cool, swaggy way that people can relate to. Like, I'm not trying to, like, preach to you, like, you know what I mean? But I'm spitting through my lyrics and my content and so much message in the music that I feel like in that moment, God's going to give me the power to command all these people. 
You know what I mean? And you're going to remember me for the rest of your life. Even if you never hear me on the radio before or after that day. You, you know what I mean? And if you're a real artist, you only need 10 seconds to create an impression on somebody that lasts a lifetime. 100% totally agreed. And I'm pretty sure your artists, after you come off stage, there's a lot of the performance that you might not even remember because it's just, you've just opened yourself to the universe to let it just flow through. That's why you got to go watch back the footage. And <laughs> you be like, I did that? <laughs> you're for sure listen if they want to check out any of your music any of your performance anything leave some contact info is there anybody you want to big up leave that right now before we get you out of here yeah big up the most Rastafari. don't know give thanks to life check out alex marley music on instagram alex marley on youtube check out the world tour um video you can see all the concerts i did check out being friends you know, check out my Spotify songs like Rastafari. We have a song coming out with David Pirto. We have a song coming out with Ayakopa artists in Japan. We have a song coming out with MB Salone, Afrobeat artist from Sierra Leone, Africa. He got producer of the year in Africa. I mean, we're putting out music. Um, you know what I mean? And just keep in tune with the entertainment report for updates and stuff as the new songs come out and stuff. You know, we're going to come right here to, you know, um, even, you know, let the world hear it first on the show because we have to build with people who are building us, you know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so very much. You know what? I'm going to sneak in one last question I have here. I just thought about it. You have Bob Marley, you date me Marley, all the other Marleys, Ziggy Marleys, every other Marleys. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, what is Alex Marley's legacy going to be? I think that is yet to be defined, and I think not even I know the answer to that. Only the most I know, you know, but I definitely know that I bring something to the table and come to make my contribution to society as well. And and um, every day I'm learning how to redefine what my contribution to society and to the world at large will be and how I can be of greater help and service to other people because you know speaking with a lot of entrepreneurs and you know mind mapping people and successful people you know they teach me a lot that you know help others to accomplish their dreams and then you will inevitably accomplish yours so don't go into a business meeting or go into a new friendship with a successful person thinking oh what can this person do for me but ask yourself even if this person is more wealthy than you are what can you do for them how can you be of service to them how can you help that person and then when that person sees value in you then maybe they will in turn help you to accomplish your dream because now they see that, that value in you but if it's just that they are valuable to you and you're not valuable to them, then that's not a good relationship. So learning stuff like that does help us to grow a lot, you know, and that's why this year now I'm growing rapidly, you know, with all the companies, you know, um, Orchard is distributing for me, which, you know, is owned by Sony and, um, and, um, and, um, you know, big up my manage my management, you know, soccer music, um, you know, Newcom music, you know, um, you know, I have a good management team around me now and stuff, which, you know, Newcom music is also part of the Sony family and stuff. And, 
you know so it's 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 just it's just it's just, it's just great you know, I have a good publicist big up my publicist you don't know more media you know what i mean and and it's just the whole team and everything coming together because the most has blessed me you know every other week or month i get a collab with another artist who is, has their own following and bringing me into their market in their part of the world and we just give thanks every little blessing and count every little blessing the small one them and the big one them you know what i mean because I just, I just, I just, that's the thing that my lord, I just want to tell people, say, make positive music, make music with substance, don't make no bubblegum music, you know what I mean? And network with people, show love to people, treat people with kindness, and the universe will open its vast abundance to you because the universe is abundant, so there's no reason for any of us to live within lack. Yeah. You understand, Mr. Rebel. Thank you so very much for sitting down. This conversation, excellent conversation. Get a better insight of who Alex Rebel Marley really is. You understand? Yes, I give thanks, my lord. I'm happy to post this and share it to the fans. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. It will be out sooner rather than later. Let me give you an outro and get you out of here, all right? Yes, I. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Muscle, and this has been another Two Line Music Huts Entertainment Report podcast, and we are out. Bob. This podcast is brought to you by www.twolinedmusichut.com.